You know, Donnie, it's not easy to start a podcast. That's true. Sometimes you need to, you know, you need to pick out a date and say we're going to start our podcast about two, three weeks from now. And in that time, building up to the three-week period that you set out, you need to do research. You need to bring in focus groups. You need to record practice shows. Try to build com- chemistry between the two hosts. And we've done all that. And tonight is finally the night that the sports casters are on the air for season one, episode one. My name is Steve Bennett. I'm the host of the sports podcasters, along with my co-host Don Russ. I'm excited to be here. It's, uh, one one. One one one. <laughs> it's January. That's right. 11th. It, it's episode number one in season one, and we are currently on January eleventh, two thousand eleven. Lots of elevens, and uh, we have a great show planned for you today. We got a couple of segments that you're going to learn to love that will be here week in and week out. Uh, the first one of those segments is uh, the three things that I seen this week. Both of the hosts are going to debate uh, or talk about a few things that we had seen uh, in the last week since the previous show. And also at the end, we're going to do predictions. We're going to do that every week. We're going to keep track and we'll probably have uh, awards for that. Like whoever's winning when the summer comes, we'll probably get to dunk the other one in a dunk tank or something (laughs) like that. We'll find a good prize. And uh, eventually we're going to talk about movies too. I should say that this is going to be a sports podcast and it's going to be about sports. It's going to be about sports media. And it's going to be about pop culture and the way that pop culture and sports intertwine in the, wor- in the world around us. And today we have a guest with us. And that guest is going to be Jeff Passan, the author of Death to the BCS and uh, one of the writers um, on Yahoo.com, the lead baseball writer. So he's going to join us in a little bit, and I'm looking forward to that, Don. Yeah, I am too. I wouldn't have imagined that we'd have a uh, legit guest right off the bat, but... There you have it. Yeah, right off the bat, we got a legitimate guest. A uh, couple couple things I'm going to say in the beginning, middle, and the end of the podcast. I want you to know where to find us and where to find the cast. Okay? And the first thing is is that uh, you can find us on Twitter. And everyone knows that Twitter uses the at symbol quite a bit. Correct. And the way to find us on Twitter is at sports underscore casters. So both of those words are plural. Should be easy to find us. Uh, www.twitter.com slash Sports underscore casters. Also, you can find us on Facebook. This is exciting. We got enough followers already, enough people to like us to get our own private URL, and that URL is facebook.com slash the sports casters. Um, and you can email us at the sportscasters at gmail.com. Um, and then when you want to listen to the show, you've already found that, obviously, if you're listening to us. But for a few weeks, they're going to be hosting it uh, at Garbage Radio, our friends at Garbage Radio. So you can find us at www.garbageradio.com slash sportscasters. Because uh, iTunes needs, you need to build up a few episodes and you need to send them out to iTunes and iTunes needs to approve it. So as soon as that gets, uh, gets done, you'll be able to find us right on iTunes. But in the meantime, it's garbageradio.com slash sportscasters. So let's stop with all the introduction and start with the three things I've seen this week. Okay, so the three things I've seen this week. We're going to do this every week, and I'm going to start it off. The number one thing I've seen this week, I actually seen it last night. Brent Musburger and Kirk Herbstreet did an absolutely terrible <laughs> job broadcasting the national championship game last night. Um, <laughs> first of all, it was weird that the national championship game was on cable, not on you know broadcast TV. Second of all, it started way too late for a Monday night. It didn't kick off until like quarter to nine. And then two things 
Brett Musburger said that he's <laughs> he's getting absolutely killed for it today. One, he said this is for all the Tostitos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the dramatic moment. And he got stock. And two, he called a guy in for a touchdown, and he got tackled at the three-yard line, and they never ended up scoring a touchdown. Right. So I just thought it was a horrible broadcast. Then he sounded bored by the end of it after they kicked the field goal. Yeah, I heard someone say that, you know, Brett, next time maybe sound like they didn't just kick your dog when they won or something. (laughs) I mean, I just, I thought it was a terrible broadcast all around, and it was just weird, and Number one for Don. Yeah, my first thing is uh, something we didn't see, but I'd like to because I think it'll be interesting, and that's the uh, NFL overtime format. Um, I think it's an imperfect fix, but it is interesting nonetheless. I mean, there's so many win conditions. Uh, Basically, it comes down to each team's offered an opportunity to have a possession unless someone scores a touchdown. Touchdown, So a touchdown wins any possession. The field goal then an opposition turnover wins, a field goal, then an onside recovery wins, a field, a field goal after possession by both teams wins, any safety wins, an onside kick, then a field goal wins. Those are the type of scenarios that interest me. Like, If you did kick a field goal, do you think you'll see, ever see a coach just onside kick it? If they recover the onside kick, they win, they win the game. Right. And even if they don't, all they, have, they could still just hold the other team to a field goal. That's an interesting strategy. There's a lot of interesting strategies in play, and that was one of the reasons why the coaches actually were against it. Right. Because they didn't want to open up uh, a bunch of ridicule. Well, that, that, that actually is my second take. I'll get to that, too. Um, the other scenario, on your first possession, you're driving down the field. Your drive stalls inside the 10-yard line, so you've got a gimme field goal, but it's like a fourth and two. Do you go for the win, or do you kick the field goal? I mean, I think most coaches probably kick the field goal and play it safe, but you can win it. You're you're eight yards away from the end zone or whatever it is. So, I'd I'd like to see it. I mean, I don't know what the odds are of playoff overtimes. I think I read it something like one in ten, so we probably won't see it. But I, I think it'd be fascinating. All right, number two today, the All Star, the NHL All Star roster pool was announced. And it's pretty cool. I don't know if you know, but the way that they're doing the NHL All-Star this game is they have announced a pool of players. And last week there was uh, six players that the fans voted to be in the pool. The NHL filled out the pool today. Uh, Next week they're going to pick two captains uh, who are going to split the teams in like a backyard draft kind of a thing. Yeah, they just throw sticks in the middle. (laughs) Yeah, so my question is who are your two captains, Don? If you got to pick the captains out of the pool, I think the obvious thing is, is to say Ovechkin and Crosby. Crosby right. I have something a little different, but I want to put you on the spot. Who would be your captains for the All-Star game? Um, you could go with just like a respect thing and uh, maybe have Lidstrom be one of them. And I'm trying to think of another veteran in there. I don't have the roster in front of me, but you could go that route. Uh, I guess you could have maybe two of the goalies pick the teams. Here's what I like. You got to have Sid. Yeah. Uh, I think you got to have Sid. So I want to put him on one side. Crosby, 87 on one side. On the other side, I want to put the star of the home team. So the the game is in Raleigh this year. So I'm going to put Eric Stahl as the other captain. Because right away, you're going to create kind of a a buzz in the arena. Right, you have a favorite Because the already. arena is going to go for Eric Stahl's team. Right. And then Crosby is already sort of a villain. Right. You know, outside of Canada Pittsburgh. and Pittsburgh. Right. So you put Crosby on the other side, and then the best would be if Crosby had the first pick. Does he go Ovechkin? Or does he go Jonathan Taves, his countryman? Or does he go Malkin because his teammate? Or uh, 
Flurry. Right. And then on the other side, does Eric Stahl, does he pick Cam Ward to try to get the right, uh, Carolina right. players really to be on one it. side to really build up the crowd? Or does he then pick Ovechkin so that the NHL still has the rivalry? I think it's got to be a lot, a lot of fun. So that was my number two. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. The NHL is cool and how progressive they are. They're kind of a niche league and they know they... They, they, but they try. Got to yeah. give Brendan Shanahan the credit because he's really the one who's come up with some of these ideas since he's on been on board with the NHL. Okay, my second thing kind of piggybacks on my first one, and uh, since this is our first episode, I looked a little broader than just this week, but it kind of I'll narrow the scope from this point forward. But NFL coaches are boring. Coaches coach like they're sitting at a blackjack table with that rules card, like they're only going to hit and stand when they're supposed to. Right. Uh, like I said. You'll never see a, court, a coach probably take an onside kick before, like to begin overtime. You won't see that. You might not see the quarterback go for it or the coach go for it fourth and short rather than just take the gimme field goal just because they, they'd rather avoid criticism. You made a perfect point watching the Saints game. The <laughs> Saints were down, yeah, sorry. <laughs> the Saints were down double digits with about three, four minutes left. Why not, as soon as you get in field goal range, kick, Bam, that, kick, kick that, that field, field goal. goal. Three yep. minutes left. You kick the field goal, even if you don't stop him the first time, you might have time. Or if you have, if you don't have any timeouts, you might have time to get the ball back. If you score the touchdown, but it takes you two and a half minutes, then what's the point? I can't tell you how many times I've seen teams score a touchdown down two and run the timeout on themselves. Right. When you get down to the last thirty seconds, kick the field goal, and then the big play is the onside kick, and then at least you'll have if you recover the onside kick. Two or three shots into the end zone. Right. I mean, you know, I, I, that touchdown does you absolutely no good unless, you know, Coach Payton had a fan, playoff fantasy team or something. Right, and he, right. You know, he really wanted to get one last touchdown from Lance Moore or something, but. I, I might even go further than that. Like two, three minutes out, if you're at the 18 yard line on third down, just kick it. You know what I mean? Right. Give your defense the time, give them a chance at least. The problem with coaches, too. It's the good coaches get criticized. Belichick got crucified for going forward on fourth, fourth and down two. Yep. against Indy. Well, yeah, we are a podcast about media, and maybe we should talk a little bit about the media right here. You know, the reason coaches are so boring is because there's so much scrutiny from the 24-7 media. Right. I mean, now you have Twitter. You have ESPN, the worldwide leader. They're 24-7 down your neck. You know, you have all the different sports networks, local sports talk radio, national talk radio. I mean, each decision, especially in the National Football League, which is everyone's favorite thing, every decision is just scrutinized. And, and as a coach, it's just it, – it, it might be the difference between putting food on your table and not right, putting food right. on your table, and that, those little decisions that you make. There's no sport either that's more – uh, retroactive and pro- I mean, there's no sport that they look back more at your decisions. Like it's results based. You know what I mean? It, you can make the decision, and they'll tell you after they see what happens whether it was a good one or not. So, like I said, the fourth and one. I I like Belichick. I applaud him for going for the win there instead of just doing what he's supposed to do. Todd Haley does that a lot, uh, and a lot of it it's perpetuated by the announcers. Mm-hmm. The announcers will always tell you, oh, you got to kick the field goal here. You, you, you <laughs> have gotta, to. You got to. You got to throw the challenge flag. You got to do this. You got to do that. Well, it's like Phil Simms last year said the Saints, you can't blitz here. Can't blitz Peyton right. Manning. Right. And they sense everyone. And next thing you know, Tracy Porter is right. running down the field you know, with, with, uh, with the game-winning pick six. So maybe it was okay to blitz. Right. 
But, you know, I think it's a, a little bit about the coaches. They have to build up a little streak head, too. Like a guy like Belichick, he can go for it on fourth and two and miss. And New England's not going to turn their backs on Bill Belichick because well, right, he's got right. the rings. But if you're someone like a Cheat Carroll who hasn't <laughs> had much success in the league or you're uh, maybe Lovey Smith who was on the hot seat going into the game, you can't screw up a playoff game by going against the book because that'll be it. They'll, wanna, they'll want you out the door. Well, even Sean, I mean – Obviously, you remember Sean Payton. Nobody comes out at halftime and kicks an onside kick. He would have been murdered in the media if that didn't work, even though it, it was the right call. He might have been murdered, but what he had going for him and what maybe allowed him to do it is win or lose, that was going to be a great story last year. The Saints were going to be a great story. Right. So he kind of was playing with house money, and he coached the game like he was playing with house money. And Indianapolis actually got kind of tight in that game. You know, uh, when we they stopped uh, they stopped the Saints at the one yard line uh, before the sec- before the end of the first half, and they just ran the ball three times into the line and actually gave the Saints another the chance. Ball back, right? Yeah, you up. know they weren't they weren't playing aggressively. The Saints they were playing with house money, and sometimes when you get into those situations, you'd be willing to take more risks. But it's so much. I mean, how much more fun would the league be? If, I mean, uh, who was it? I think it was Houston a couple of years ago. They had nothing to play for. They were already out of the playoffs, and I think they. Was it Jacksonville? They went for two? Yeah. Well, what that happened to the Saints one year, they were playing the Vikings, and the Vikings came down real late in the game to, to be an extra point away from tying, and they ended up going for two with Dante Culpepper, and he ran a two-point conversion. And, I, I, you know, I love so that it, stuff. Yeah. I think it makes the league a better thing to watch. All right, my number three, I was watching the national championship game, going back to that a little bit again, and I was really watching Cam Newton. And my question is, is Cam Newton just going to be Vince Young 2.0, or is he better than that? I know one thing I saw last night is he's tougher than Vince Young because he took some shots. But let's talk about some of the parallels here. All right, Cam Newton's going to walk away from college with his last game being a national championship for a huge fan base in college football. Okay, He's going to be a first-round pick like Vince Young was. Right. And he's going to walk into a team that's probably going to be uh, not one of the best teams in the NFL. (laughs) And he's going to be looked upon to come in and change the results of that franchise. So can can Cam Newton be better than Vince Young? Uh, Right before the half in the game last night, it was so strange. I thought I was looking at Cam Young. He threw the Hail Mary and he was like a foot of the wrist. <laughs> you even called him Cam Young just there. <laughs> I did, yeah, Cam Young. Uh, it's like a, he's already morphed into half Cam Newton and half Vince Young in my mind. Uh, but uh, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't watch him enough to know, but I mean, like, what little I did look, like you said, it looks like Vince Young. Just the huge arm, the almost, there's like a nonchalant way about the way they stand in the pocket almost like all right whatever happens i got this you know what they're i mean st- they're so long they can just they almost glide when they run right you know and there's no one in college football who can catch these guys on the edges but the problem that vince young has had in the nfl is the linebackers are so fast that he can't necessarily get to the edges as quick michael vick this season has had a lot of success getting out onto those edges and outrunning everyone right but it's interesting. He's a very he's a very polarizing guy. I mean, some people love him and think he's going to be great. Other people question like his attitude because of all the trouble he's gotten into. So. Right, right. All right, you're number three. Um, along the uh, the media line, Twitter's awesome. Yeah, if anyone yeah. <laughs> doesn't know, Twitter is awesome. And real recent examples of it is uh, there's guys like there's no better way to connect to like your favorite athletes and stuff, good or bad. And 
Ocho Cinco found twelve hundred dollars in his pants pocket the other day and just gave it to a random Twitter follower. Uh, you can follow. We're in Buffalo, so Matthew Barnaby and Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, tr- trash talk each other back and forth yeah. about their hockey teams and football teams. It's hilarious. There's there's nothing better than Twitter. So uh, I hope everyone out there follows us on Twitter. Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter at at sports underscore casters. So we're on Twitter, and our next guest, and I got to tell you, Don, I'm really excited to bring him on. Is uh, is Jeff Passan? Uh, the I mentioned it earlier. The author, one of the co-authors of Death of the BCS, and you can actually find him two ways on uh, on Twitter. You can find him at Jeff Passan. P A S S A N. Or you can find at Death to the BCS, which is which is him and uh, his co-authors on Twitter as well. So why don't we take a real short break, and we'll be right back with our very first guest, Jeff Passing, the author of Death to the BCS. All right, listeners of the Sports Podcasters, we're very excited uh, to have our first guest. We have Jeff Passing. A graduate of Syracuse University who is the lead baseball com- columnist at yahoosports.com. And he is the co-author of the number one selling college football book on Amazon.com, Death to the BCS. Uh, the book has spent 102 days in the top 100 sports books on Amazon and is currently number 17th in that category. And Jeff has been published in the best sports writing anthology. So we're very, very honored to have Jeff on tonight. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing very good. Uh, maybe just a question to start off. So how many of the 35 bowl games did you watch, Jeff? Oh, boy. <laughs> I'd say I watched... I'd say I watched probably about half of them. Half of them? Uh, you know, maybe maybe, maybe not start to finish, but I watched a fair... I mean, look, I like college football, I, and, and I like the fact that there are plenty of games. I just hate the format of the postseason, and... It's sort of the thing that inspired us to write this book, that we have a, a postseason that consists of a bunch of uh, independent one-off games, and you really do wonder uh, what what could be and, and what they're leaving on the table, and uh, that was the synthesis for this book, and I think we do a pretty good job of answering that, and the answer, unfortunately, is something that people don't like. Right. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, how did the uh, collaboration come about and the idea to write this book? What was... What was kind of the evolution of the project? Well, my, my co-authors, Dan Wetzel and Josh Peter, uh, are uh, also co-workers at Yahoo Sports. And, look, we, we've talked about this stuff. We've argued over it. And uh, the, the one thing that I think all of us agreed on is that the BCS is a terrible way to uh, end a, a wonderful season in college football and, and that it deserves better. And uh, when, when there's such a vast consensus out there who agree with us, uh, the, the big question for us was, why does this thing still exist if everybody hates it? And so we spent two years looking into it and digging through tax records and uh, really finding out the reason and, and debunking the arguments as opposed to buying into it like, unfortunately, so many people have because, you know, it's, it's like the old saying, you, you repeat a lie five times and it becomes a truth. And, and that's, you know, the, the whole fallacy of the regular season being better and the idea that, school's going to get in the way, and all of the problems that the people at the BCS bring up, uh, the bowl games dying, they're, they're all mixed. 
And uh, what we do in this book, I think, is go about and debunk every one of them. Yeah, I read the book, and uh, it, actually, I was just going to ask you, it seems like the most ready excuses about why a playoff wouldn't work are these myths that the presidents are against it or that the student-athletes would miss too much class. Could you explain kind of why these uh, things are myths? Well, they're, I mean, they're, they're myths because they're, they're just, you know, they're, they're spin. They're talking points. They're, they're not based in reality. I mean, it's very simple. Uh, if you're concerned about missed class time, then why did the University of Oregon in the national championship game this year miss the first week of its winter quarter? And uh, if you're concerned about the, the validity of the regular season, why do you have uh, September full of uh, big big powerhouses playing patsies, you know, with, with a couple of exceptions here or there? And, uh, you know, if you're concerned... Uh, about oh boy, I mean there there's so many other things that they that they talk about being concerned with that uh, just are not based in reality, and uh, that that's the point of this book. I think it's to educate people, it's to, to show them what the issues are, uh, what they say they are, and what the truth is. I mean, if if bowl games are such a great great tradition, then why do bowl partners take more than fifty percent of the money off the top that universities should should be getting? And if bowls are going to die like they say they're going to, then why right now are universities supporting these lower bowls by taking the payouts from the BCS games and spreading them that way? I mean, it's, it's just, a, again, it, it's a bunch of arguments that hold no water uh, when you place them under a microscope, and thankfully that's what we did. Yeah, uh, Derek Fox, <laughs> he's someone that I kind of got a chuckle out of uh, in the book. Yeah. Uh, the CEO, yeah, the, <laughs> the CEO of the uh, Alamo Bowl. As you guys, uh, he's a member of what you guys call the cartel in the book. Um, he told Congress that almost all postseason bowls are put on by charitable groups. Uh, can you talk yeah. about how just grossly of an exaggeration that is? Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in reality, bowl games gave, uh, I believe. Uh, less than 1% of their revenues, or a little, I mean, you know, I think it was a little more than 1%, but uh, very close, one and a half or so percent of their revenues uh, to charity. And look, if, if you want to call that a charitable organization, uh, you know, an organization that gives $500 to a local school out of the millions and millions of dollars that it makes every year, hey, by all means, you can go and do that. But when a congressman hears that, and when it's shown to him that that isn't the case, uh, as Joe Barton from Texas was, he's going to be pissed off. And and look, I don't know if Joe Barton was ever going to be pursuing contempt of Congress charges like like he told Dan he was going to. But fact is that that he's even considering that that he even brings up the idea of putting a bull director in contempt of Congress just shows you how absurd this thing is. Yeah. Now I think as being what you're one of the youngest columnists in the United States, and I'm sure you really enjoy your job, but. The people who must really enjoy their jobs are the bull, <laughs> the bull talent evaluators, which is another thing that I kind of got a chuckle about. Do you want to explain to our listeners this great job as a bull talent evaluator? Yeah, in my in my second life, trust me, I'd like to come back as a <laughs> talent evaluator. Uh, you know, essentially, you know what bowl game you're going to be uh, going to if, if as long as you're not one of the top tier teams in the BCS game choice you have a pretty decent idea because there are conference tie-ins and affiliations well still there's this cottage industry of of people who walk around wearing these these horribly ugly blazers with 
uh, the names of the bulls on them, and they go, and they're bull scouts. They they go into town, and they get lavished with dinners and drinks and plied by people from the universities who uh, have bought into this absurd system whereby they supposedly pick out the team that's right for the bull, even though the team is picked out for them. So these guys, who are generally friends of the directors of the bull, end up getting weekly vacations to go watch college football. And you know what? It's a great gig if you can get it. Yeah, that sounds good. Sign me up. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense when, when so many of these bulls are taking money from universities via ticket guarantees, hotels that they contract out with. I mean, there are any number of ways that these bowl games are making money and that they're taking it from the schools. Now, everybody wants there to be a playoff. And you guys talk in the book about your plan for a 16-team playoff um, as being the only plan that avoids the three deal-breakers of it uh, being profitable, protecting the regular season, and taking academics into consideration. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your vision and how your 16-team playoff would work? Well, the the 16-team playoff, uh, it brings fairness uh, foremost, and so you don't have a situation like TCU going undefeated, and I think anybody who watched the national championship game, frankly, uh, and knows college football, believes that TCU could have played with Auburn or with Oregon and uh, given either team a game, and uh, not just given them a game, but frankly, beaten. And so uh, you don't have a situation where a TCU, for example, gets left out, even though it goes through the season undefeated, because every conference gets an automatic bid. That takes care of 11 of them there. Right. And you have five at-large bids that are determined by a selection committee, the same sort of selection committee that year in, year out, does a pretty damn good job with the NCAA basketball tournament. Absolutely. And we would have the same, and we would have the same situation here where you have seeding 1 through 16. Now, the beauty of this is twofold. Number one, uh, the regular season's integrity is maintained because uh, the top seeds uh, get to face some of the lesser competition, the MAC, the Sun Belt Conference USA. So it gives them incentive to fight for those top seeds. And more important, the top eight seeds get home games. Now, what a home game would do for a university uh, is, is just so fantastic. If you've been a college football fan and have gone to a game on campus, you know what the atmosphere can be like. You know how exciting it would be. And with so much riding on it in a playoff situation, and with the university getting the additional revenue from parking, uh, from concessions, (laughs) from all of those things, it's just a win-win. And uh, those games would be hugely important. So the, the regular season, I think, would take on a whole... Uh, a whole other layer of excitement toward the end. As it is right now, is the end of the season really all that exciting? No. I mean, we're, look, we're playing, for, we're playing for games that have big names and really don't in the grand scheme mean anything, whereas here you'd be playing for a, for a legitimate, true national championship that you don't have to be one of two to get. Right. And you guys must have been excited. It seemed like uh, Mark Cuban used his Christmas uh, vacation to read your book. And he blogged that he might like to invest in a college football playoff. Do you think he's dreaming, or do you think that he could be a big player in the march towards a playoff in college football? I, I like dreamers, so I don't think that would be you know an insult to say he's dreaming. I think it's going to be very difficult for him or anyone to 
to break through and turn this thing into a private enterprise, but Mark Cuban's got the right idea. He, he gets what's at stake here and what needs to be happening and why it needs to be happening. And, uh, you know, college football needs more people like him who are thinkers and, and who want to evolve the game instead of just keeping what the status quo has been for so long. I mean, that's why we don't have a playoff, guys, because the people in charge are content with the status quo and they have no incentive to switch it up. And until they have incentive, until the university presidents and people of that elk go to them and say, this is what we need to be doing because this is what's right for our schools as opposed to our athletic department, then is when we're going to have some change. Right. Yeah, I mean, you, you, if you think about a guy like Joe Paterno, who's coached four undefeated teams who didn't win titles, I mean, you mentioned TCU finishing without even a chance to play for the title. I mean, they went undefeated and won the Rose Bowl. That doesn't do anything good but second place. Auburn was once an undefeated SEC champion who was left out of the 2005 game. I mean, what could happen to cause enough outrage to stop the cartel? Is there anything that could cause enough outrage? You know, I think if, if an SEC team was undefeated and left out today, there would be a whole lot more uh, backlash than there was a couple, you know, five years back now. Uh, right. But, uh, look, I thought Boise State would have... Uh, that didn't happen. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kyle Brossman. Kickers, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I love kickers. Yeah, Bo- yeah Boise, Boise State, unfortunately, uh, was you know had the nation's backing. And TCU, even though I think TCU is a better team than Boise State, didn't quite have the national cachet. Now, maybe they do next year, but they're also going to be out with, be without a, uh, a whole bunch of the players who led them this year. And so you wonder if TCU is going to be that team next year, if Boise State's going to be that team next year. Uh, or if there's even going to be a small, uh, a, a lower conference team next year. And I guess TCU is going to be in the big, uh, big East starting soon. So yep. they're going to, uh, fall out of, you know, fall out of that contention. And, uh, it's, it, it's one of those situations where there has to be, uh, a, a wide enough outrage from a large enough fan base, I think. And, uh, you know, say Ohio State ends up getting left out after an undefeated season. Right. I mean, you know how, you know how big the, the Big Ten Big Ten with their network. Is and yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the type of thing that I think could, could get the ball rolling even more than it is right now. But frankly, I, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with how this season's gone as far as getting people on our side, even uh, though we, you know, before this book was published, plenty of people already were. Right. And I mean, if we are stuck on this, it'd be nice if they could make a little adjustments. I mean, 37 days, five weeks since Auburn and uh, Oregon played last. I mean, you could tell in the first in the first half, these teams weren't ready to play a national championship game. I mean, what did you think of the game last night? Uh, It wasn't all that much fun, to be honest. I know it ended with a game winning field goal, and that's always cool. And uh, the the Michael Dyer run at the end was... uh, very interesting to say the least, but the <laughs> fact is, it was it was kind of a boring championship game. Yeah, and, very sloppy yeah, up, too. Up, until, up until those last you know three minutes or so. And uh, look, whatever format you have, whether it's a playoff or, or uh, a one game thing like this, there's a chance you're going to have a boring championship game. But uh, when you have only one of one chance, uh, as opposed to 15 chances in a playoff, you know it doesn't look quite as good. All right. All right. We only got a couple minutes here left with Jeff. Uh, like I said, Jeff is the um, 
lead baseball columnist at yahoo.com. Before we let you go, we got to get a couple of baseball questions in. You know, one thing that you guys are in the middle of working on uh, the 32 training camp reports, and I was reading the one about the Kansas City Royals, and it kind of got me pretty excited. You, you mentioned that the Royals are kind of squirreling away prospects, and they might not be that that far away from a playoff. I mean, I have a, a brother who was born in 1986. He's lived a pretty nice 24-year life without the Royals sniffing a playoff. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Royals and uh, their prospects going forward? Royals are going to be good. I, I live in Kansas City, so I hear about this, trust me, all the time. And uh, and people actually saying, the Royals aren't really going to be good, are they? No, they're, they're going to be legitimately good. They've, they've got as good a group of prospects as I've seen since covering baseball, and I know people who have covered baseball longer than me who say that, too. And so uh, among Mike Moustakis, the third baseman, Eric Hosmer, our first baseman, uh, Will Myers, who's a catcher now and is going to be in right field eventually, and, and a trove of left-handed pitchers with John Lamb and Mike Montgomery, Chris Weyer and Danny Duffy. I mean, those are seven legitimate good prospects there, and that's just the start of their organizational depth. Right. All right, Jeff. So on something of a lighter note real quick, uh, why is it that people from St. Louis and New York dislike you? (laughs) (laughs) That's a a great question. I think people from St. Louis don't like me because a couple years ago I I wrote a column uh, that that was ripping their fans for – for not uh, showing up to a game. And uh, people from New York, you know, everyone from New York just thinks that reporters hate the Yankees. Oh. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to it. I, I love New York. New York's one of my, I, I can't say that about St. Louis necessarily. I love New York. <laughs> one more question. Um, you mentioned on Twitter uh, that if the Phillies could land uh, Cliff Lee, their rotation would be the best ever on paper. Well, they landed Cliff Lee, so you're going to stand by that comment? I mean, Cliff Leroy Halliday, Cole Hamels, Roy Oswalt, it's kind of tough to beat that. Right. Yeah. You, can, you can talk about your Orioles staff where you had four 20-game winners. You can talk about the Dodgers back in the 50s. Uh, there, there are some challengers, certainly, but they have a chance to be as good as any. Right. All right, Jeff Passing, like we said, uh, he uh, is a co-author of Death to the BCS, a uh, book that you definitely want to check out. It's available on Amazon.com, pretty much anywhere you can buy a book. I actually read mine. Um, electronically loved it so that option's available too um, and Jeff thanks a lot for being on the show we really appreciate it my pleasure fellas Maybe. and uh, anyone who wants to uh, check out the first chapter it's up uh, for free on com. so take a look there okay hey Jeff maybe we can catch up with you around spring training time and talk a little bit more baseball alright thanks guys All right, thank you very you. much good talking to you thank you All right, and we're back, and that was a great time, Don, wasn't it? His uh, first episode and first interview with the national uh, sports media. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. So we want to thank Jeff again and maybe plug uh, some of his stuff one more time. You can find uh, Jeff on Twitter, at Jeff Passan, uh, P-A-S-S-A-N. Also, you can find the book uh, at deathtothebcs.com. He mentioned you can actually read the first chapter of the book, right. if you want, at deathtothebcs.com. And they also have some... Uh, some blog posts on that site where they actually talk outside of the book. Um, and, of course, you can read his baseball work on uh, Yahoo.com where he's uh, the lead baseball. So we really appreciate that a lot. But we're going to transition away from college football and away from 
uh, baseball and talk about the biggest thing going on this week in sports, and that's the NFL divisional round of the playoffs. Um, I've seen that it was the, it's the first time ever uh, that the AFC has both of their games as intra-divisional battles in the divisional round. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so why don't we start with one of those, and that's the first game on Saturday, which is the Ravens and the Steelers. Uh, both finished 12-4, and four, but the Steelers had the tiebreaker to uh, be able to host this game and have the bye uh, at Heinz Field. Of course, the Ravens. Uh, had to go play a game last week and uh, and play the Chiefs, but they had handled that game pretty easily and won thirty to seven. What do you think about Steelers Ravens this weekend? Uh? Um, as uh, who was it? Suggs said it's going to be an Armageddon, yep. <laughs> which uh, football players might be prone to a little hyperbole. But uh, there are the two teams that year in and year out, you don't have to know a single player on the team, but you know the Ravens are going to be nasty. The Steelers are going to hit you and they're going to run the ball. I'd love to have a team, <laughs> being a Bills fan, I'd love to have a team that had an identity that, at all, much less a nasty one like these guys do. And it, it's, it's going to be low scoring, would be my guess. And, uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so close to call that either way. I mean, they both run the ball extremely well. They both stop the run extremely well. I mean, something's got to give. It's the unmovable force versus the unstoppable object. Ouch. Ouch comes to my head when I think yeah. of these two teams. I remember I think in one of last year's games, the two guys, uh, I don't remember who it was, hit themselves, hit each other so hard that both of them were Knocked down. Each other out, yeah. yeah. And uh, that's the kind of uh, vicious play that you get when you have the Ravens playing the Steelers. And kind of when I think about predicting or talking about who I like in an NFL game, I kind of always seem to veer towards the quarterback position. You know, the NFL really is kind of a quarterback league and I, I like Roethlisberger. I like I like the fact that Roethlisberger um, isn't as isn't as uh, fatigued as he usually is at this time of the year because he, he sat out those right. first well, first injured, quarter of the season. Right. Um, so he's you know fairly fresh at this point. He he's been good in the playoffs and. Um, they're at home, you know. The terrible towels will be waving, sticks. Renegade will be playing. They'll be singing in the stands. And some someone like Mike Wallace too could be a big X factor in this game. The Ravens, if they can be beat, they can be beat with their secondary. I mean, I know Ed Reed's healthy, but I don't know. I mean, nobody can run with Mike Wallace, so he just needs to get open once or twice. And if the, the Ravens, difference. if the Ravens win, what will be the headline the next day? Do you think? Wow, if the Ravens win, I th- I think it's going to be have to do. I think Ray Rice is going to have to have a great game, and Flacco is going to have to not make mistakes. So Ray Rice would be the story for you if the Ravens win. I mean, other than Ed Reed, I mean, or someone like Ray Lewis. I mean, Ed Reed's probably the obvious choice if he can. And Ed Reed's playing with that little extra motivation of his little brother, right? You know, right. dying, jumping into the lake, being chased by the police, right? Right. Um, so he's he's playing with that. Um, on his mind, I'm sure he wants to play well for his family, give them a little diversion for a couple hours. So he could definitely be a storyline. Yeah, I mean, this might be one game, too, that, I mean, most games, if you're going to pick for pick a different, I mean, the defense might make the difference for either of these teams. you got a guy like Troy Palomalu, Ed Reed, all those guys, Harrison. Harrison, yep. I mean, they're just as likely to score, maybe, the defense as the offense is the score. Uh, Saturday night, we got a good one. I'm really looking forward to this game. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, led by Aaron Rodgers, travel to the Georgia Dome to face uh, the, I would say, surprise Atlanta Falcons, uh, the number one seed in the NFC, 14-2 and record in the regular season, led by uh, Matty Ice, Matt Ryan from 
Boston College. So uh, Matty Ryan uh, is going to get his first first taste of playoff action, I believe. Yeah, and with only, what, two home losses in his career. Yeah, one of them to the Saints this year and one previously. I can't remember who the other one was against. I, they did it. They did it pretty quietly, the Falcons, it seems like. I mean, Matt Ryan had a nice year. Uh, Curtis Lofton was really good on defense. Uh, he's a really good middle linebacker out of Oklahoma. He's one of their big players. Uh, they have Tony Gonzalez, obviously the Hall of Fame right, tight right. end. Uh, he's made some big plays. in Roddy, Roddy White, White, he but, might be the league MVP. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I doubt he gets talked about as MVP. I think there's only – has there ever been a wide receiver MVP? Maybe, but – There's not many. I think right. they're almost all quarterbacks and running backs. But – Roddy White just makes that team go. What did he have, 120 catches almost? Yeah, every week you can count on him to have six, seven, eight catches, 100 yards, a touchdown. He's really established himself as one of the best receivers of the league. And he's not one of these guys who really becomes a distraction like the Terrell Owens or the Ocho right, right. of the world. He's kind of, like you said, he's kind of quiet. He's kind of under the radar. Um, so let me ask you again, if the road team is going to win this game, if the Packers are going to go into the number one seed – and beat Matty Ice and his two-loss record at home and all that, what is the story going to be uh, on Sunday morning? Why did the Packers win the game? Well, if you're the Falcons, you definitely don't want it to be James Starks. I mean, you, you, you can't have him beat you the way uh, the, Eagles, the did. Eagles did. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of embarrassing. Not that he's not a nice player. Well, you're nice talking story. about a guy who started on PUP, you know, right, a guy right. who had to be uh, inactive for a few games because he supposedly doesn't practice hard. Right. So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is is the key here. The Falcons have something of an underrated defense, but... Good corners, too. Athletic yeah. corners. I mean, it'll be a good matchup there, but I, they they got to be able to stop Greg Jennings. they got to be able to stop uh, Driver. Jones. Jones, yeah. I mean, all those guys, they, everyone, they had injuries all year, but people just step up and step in their places. But, yeah, you can't, it can't be James Starks. Right, and I, I think the story of the Falcons win is going to be Matt Ryan. Uh, Matt Ryan... You know, they call him Matty Ice. He's cool. He's calm. I could really easily see this game being Matt Ryan having the ball with about four minutes left and taking a nice slow drive down and getting a field goal to win it. I think it'll be close, but, you know, I could easily see it being that way. And then we're going to get to Sunday, and Sunday afternoon is kind of the only kind of bummer of the <laughs> of the postseason. We have now seven and eight, eight and nine, nine. Uh, Seattle playing uh, the number two seed in the NFC, uh, kind of a surprise again, the Chicago Bears at uh, Soldier Field. The Bears are the type of team that all year, I, I kind of did the same thing with Jacksonville, and Jacksonville proved me right by the end of the year, but every week you look at these guys and you're like, nah, they're not going to win. I mean, uh, they they turn the ball over too much. They they don't run the ball well enough. They Their defense isn't what it used to be. I mean, there's just so many holes seemingly, yet they win games. Seattle, you know, the fair, fair and square, Seattle beat the Saints last week, and so they get to move on. But, you know, they won the game with kind of an all-time great run by Marshawn Lynch. I mean, is Marshawn Lynch going to have an all-time great run again? No, I don't know no, if is, he ever is, had a run like that with the is, Bills. Is Matt Hasselbeck going to throw four touchdowns again? No. No, I mean, they did it once. They did it at home. They got the momentum. You know, they got the, they got the Saints down. You know, they maybe the Saints as defending champions couldn't quite match their intensity, and then they lost on that big knockout punch with the with the run. But I I can't see it. I can't see the Seahawks uh, doing it again. But I, but if they're gonna Jay Cutler, he'll turn the ball over. He will. He absolutely will. But uh, 
in with the Bears too is they played pretty well in a meaningless game the last game of the season. Yes, in Chicago or in Lambeau where the Packers needed that needed win to, to win. get in and they had nothing. They had nothing to play for. They played the Packers well and I don't think the Packers or the Seahawks are anywhere near the Packers league. So I wouldn't have said Seattle would have even made a game out of it last week either, but I, I just don't see it this week. I, I remember I watched the game with you. You said the worst thing about the Saints' loss isn't that they're going to lose, but that Seattle's probably going to go on to just get smoked by 30 by somebody. Mm-hmm. It's going to be frustrating as a Saints fan on Sunday afternoon, you know, turning on the TV and seeing, you know, 24 to 3 Chicago. And it's <laughs> right. like, eh, of course, you know, thanks for nothing, Seattle. But then. Even as even if that game is terrible and boring, we do have a very exciting Sunday night game, and it's uh, the Jets led by Mark Sanchez and uh, Big Rex Ryan and his foot fetish traveling <laughs> to uh, Gillette Stadium to place to face Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and the uh, I would say somewhat surprising New England Patriots. I mean, it's never maybe a surprise for the Patriots to be good, but I don't know if I expected the Patriots to be fourteen and two and the best team in the National Football League this year. Did you? Well, if you. If someone told you Randy Moss wasn't playing at the, at the end of the season because they just cut him and Danny Woodhead's there and uh, Julian Edelman and uh, two tight ends that maybe you've never heard of before. Yeah, this maybe, this is, maybe this is back to what made them good to begin with. You know, they never won a Super Bowl with Randy Moss. They had the undefeated season where then they lost right, to the right. Giants, but they never won a Super Bowl with him. And, you know, I think Belichick likes to just have all these different guys. You know, and Branch is back with Brady, and I, I think I think Brady maybe would take Branch any day over, over just Moss. about anyone. Right? You know, is I think they have kind of a unique chemistry with each other, and Branch has been able, after living in pretty much obscurity in Seattle and and barely hearing of him, he came right back into New England and is catching touchdown passes and really playing well with Brady again. We were talking before the podcast a little bit, if the NFL drew this up, they couldn't have drawn the AFC up any better. Nope, this, like, is, this exactly is exactly what, what they, they want. wanted. Yep. The, yep. Uh, this game's polar opposites, too. you got the Jets who walk around with their chest out. They talk. They, they're cocky. pompous, cocky. Yep. Right. They never have really won anything. <laughs> right. Got to the AFC Championship game last year. Right. And the Patriots, who I'm supposed to hate as a Bills fan, but can't. They just do things the right way. They're quiet. They go about their business. Never hear from their assistant coaches. Right. They just dismantle people. And they do it with likable players. Like, how can you not like a 5'6 running back or whatever he is? It. It's they're they're hard to dislike, and I used to dislike Brady too as a Bills fan. But you can't, you got to respect the guy. And I'm trying to think back to the losses that Tom Brady has in the playoffs in his career. I mean, he lost an AFC Championship game in Indianapolis, where you can argue that it was just kind of Peyton Manning's time, right? You know, but I can't remember anyone really going into uh, Gillette Stadium and beating Peyton Manning in a playoff game. Well, Oakland fans would probably argue. <laughs> Oakland fans would argue that they beat them, <laughs> right? Uh, but the Tuck rule ended up. Uh, changing the results there but it's going to be uh, it's going to be a good weekend of uh, playoff football i mean it's too bad the saints couldn't have snuck in there i mean if they did it would have been saints and falcons and packers and bears which would have been fun but you know it is what it is so we we move forward with the divisional playoffs so that been, it really would have been four divisional in, interdivisional games yeah wow yep yep but uh Saints blew it. <laughs> it's all right. Next Thanks, is, Saints. Next year. You got oh, your win last year. Oh, you year. know what? I'm wrong. The, the Packers are the sixth seed. 
So they would have went to the one seed with Atlanta no matter what. Okay, right. Yeah, that's right. right. And the Saints would have went to Chicago where they lost the 2006 NFC Championship game to the Bears. But All right, well, we're going to take one more small break. And uh, when we come back, we are going to uh, go into our last segment, which is going to be a recurring segment, uh, the pick four. All right, we are back. Sportscasters winding down episode one, season one. We had Jeff Passan from uh, Death to the BCS earlier on the show. Uh, we went over the NFL playoffs, and now we're going to end with a recurring uh, recurring segment called Pick 4. But before we do that, um, one more time, I just want to go through the ways that you can uh, find the sportscasters on the Internet because we're, we're, we're all over the Internet, Donnie. That's right. We're, uh, we're pioneers. Yep, we're all over it. Um, you can find us on Twitter www.twitter.com at sports, plural, underscore casters. Again, plural. Um, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, we got enough people to like our page that we got a custom URL. So the fancy custom URL is facebook.com slash thesportscasters. You can email us. Why don't you email me this week? Let me know, uh, me and Don, know what you thought of the interview, uh, who you'd like to have on the show in the future. You can email us at thesportscasters at gmail.com. Pretty easy to remember. And then this podcast, uh, you've already found it. Our friends at uh, Garbage Radio are hosting us for a few weeks until we can get iTunes to approve the show. But we're at www.garbageradio.com slash sportscasters. Uh, so we're all over that internet. Look for us. Uh, send us a tweet. Send us an email. Uh, listen to the show, a couple downloads, maybe two, three of them, uh, get our numbers up. And um, one thing before we get into pick four, next week we will be back next uh, next Wednesday with Greg Wyshynski, uh from the Puck Daddy, yeah, Puck Daddy blog on Yahoo. I'm really, really excited at this to talk to Greg. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more NHL uh, All-Star Game, and we'll talk NHL Eastern Conference. Uh, he's a big Devils fan, Donnie. Uh, so he's having Poor a tough guy. year. Poor guy. But, uh, okay, let's wind this show up. Let's wind up number one. It's going to be – oh, another thing we're going to do next week I want to mention is uh, we're going to uh, focus a little bit more on sports media, which is in our thesis there, and we're going to do a movie segment. And we're going to all watch this week. We're going to watch a movie called uh, – from the 30 for 30 ESPN series um, called June – 18th, 1994, 17th, 16th, it's one of those days, <laughs> uh, in 1994, and uh, we're going to go over that movie and, uh, and do some fun stuff with, uh, with the ESPN 30 for 30 series movie. But why don't we end up with our uh, pick four? Uh, every week, uh, each of the hosts is going to pick four different games, and we kind of have it segmented into a, a certain, uh, certain style. Why don't you explain it, Donnie? All right, first, each week we're going to pick a big game, and that'll be the game that we both pick. The second game... We're going to pick is the worldwide leader, a little uh, take on ESPN there, and that'll be any nationally televised game that's going to take place during the week. Uh, the third will be the host choice, and we'll end with a bold prediction. Right, right. So we got to kind of segment it out there, and uh, this week's big game I think is pretty obvious. It's Jets versus Patriots, so who do you like? I I like the Patriots, and I don't think it's going to be close. I mean, I know peop- I know it's an entertaining game, and it's going to be there's going to be a lot of talk leading up to it, regardless. But the Jets struggled to beat the Colts, and I can't think of one area that the Colts are better than the Pats in. So I mean, if if you got a one point victory against them, you're going to really struggle to beat a team that's first of all way healthier than the Colts are right now, and 
playing about as good as they've played all year. Right. Yeah, I mean, if I'm picking a game and I'm picking it for standings, there is no way I'm picking against Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in Gillette Stadium in January. No way it's going to happen. I'm going to take the Patriots. I, uh, I think the Jets are funny. Um, they're kind of <laughs> fun to have around, you know, because you never know if it's going to be someone wanting a snack or someone having a foot fetish right. or all the other entertaining things that the Jets have given us this year. But it's good to have someone not to like a little bit. Right, yeah, yeah. But uh, So there's no way. I, I'm Patriots all the way. Okay, the Worldwide Leader game. Uh, I went with uh, 3 p.m. this Saturday. Is the bobsledding World Cup? Oh, nice. Nah, I'm just. No. <laughs> I'm going to take Jamaica in that, but that's uh, not really my pick. No. Uh, noon on Saturday, and I'm basing this on the Jeff Passing Karma. The, uh, Syracuse is going to stay undefeated over Cincinnati. Syracuse over Cincinnati. All right, I like that one. I like that one. All right, well, I got a game. Uh, it's coming up this week on TNT with their basketball coverage, and I'm going to pick Kevin Durant and the Oklahoma City Thunder to uh, beat the kind of revamped uh, Orlando Magic and uh, with their new point guard, uh, Gilbert Arenas. But I'm going to go with uh, the big Texas boy, uh, Kevin Durant. I'm going to pick the Oklahoma City Thunder over the Orlando Magic. Okay, in my host choice game, I went with the uh, arguably more entertaining of the two NFC games. I'm going to take the Packers over the Falcons, which I guess you could you, – I'm not sure what the line is on it, but – the Falcons at home are great. It seems like, but I, I, I gotta see. I gotta see him do it first, I guess. And I trust Rodgers and the Packers more. So that's my that's my take on the Packers. All right. Well, I'm gonna cheat here because I want to get a win. So I'm just gonna pick the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might do it too, but I I just. I probably would have said the same last same thing last week, and I would have lost. But there is no way the Seattle Seahawks are going to win again in the NFL playoffs. There's no way they're going to win a road playoff game. No way, no how. I'm picking the Bears, and I'm already counting that one. This reminds me of like the uh, I'm trying to think of who I'm thinking of. Maybe the Carolina Hurricanes on their way to the Cup. Like every series, you're just like, no, no, they're, no, they're no. not going to do it again. Oh, but like you said, I got to see it. Yeah, how how bad for football would it be if Seattle really did win? Ugh. I mean, it would be ugly. They would they would win the Super Bowl with host them. host the NFC Championship game. Yeah, and then they would have what a ten and nine record. If Seattle wins this week and the Packers win, like you said, they get to host the nine NFC Championship game. It'd be ten and nine. Okay, they would be eleven and nine if they won the Super Bowl. That's yeah. hideous because you have. I mean, you have to win three games to make it. Okay. Uh, lastly, my bold prediction. This is along the lines of the Patriots beating the Jets. I don't think Mark Sanchez will throw a TD pass. In the Zero game. TD passes. Zero TD passes for Mark Sanchez. I like it. All right, my bold prediction, I'm going to go to the NCAA college basketball because it's about that time that you kind of got to start paying attention to college basketball if you're going to win that bracket game that everyone likes to right. play around March Madness time. So I'm starting to pay attention to college basketball. I know Duke is undefeated right now, and uh, Syracuse is undefeated, and there's a few other undefeated teams at the top. But I'm going to pick Louisville. They're the number 18th-ranked uh, team. I'm going to pick them on the road against number 7 Villanova in a Big East uh, Big East game this weekend. So I'm going to pick Louisville to beat Villanova is my bold prediction, an 18 over a 7. All right. All right, so that about does it for the first uh, episode of the Sportscasters, episode 1.1. Again, we're really excited about how it turned out, and we're excited for episode 1.2 next week when we welcome uh, Greg Wyshynski from the Puck Daddy blog. Uh, 
on yahoosports.com. Another Yahoo is that, how, guy. is that how you pronounce it? I wasn't <laughs> yeah, totally it's Greg sure. Wyshynski. Wyshynski. Yeah, okay. yeah. Puck Daddy blog. Right. So in the meantime this week, why don't you check out the Puck Daddy blog? But more importantly, check us out on Twitter, uh, sports underscore casters. Check us out on Facebook, The Sportscasters, and uh, listen to the podcast and let us know what you think. Send us an email at thesportscasters at gmail.com. For Don Russ, I'm Steve Bennett. We'll see you next week. All right.